Hello, it's great to see you, and welcome back to another installment of Your Money and a Cup of Joe. I'm your host, Ryan Ruff. We thank you so much for joining us. We've got the star of the show, Mr. Joe Kaleo of the Kaleo Wealth Management Group, joining me momentarily. But look, first and foremost, we want to thank you once more for finding your way back to the show. As you know, each time we sit down, Joe and I go through a complex wealth management-related topic. You know, we unpack some of the strategies and lessons learned that Joe has found throughout his career, and we offer, you know, just different insights into this world of wealth management. And as you know, in, in past episodes, Joe and I have talked about the family dynamic, the family element, and how it really does come into play in so many instances, more so than you would almost think. But today we're going to start getting into that family element. And there's going to be a lot of conversations in future episodes that explore this family element because there really is so much to unpack within a family dynamic and the wealth that is tied to a given family. Today, we've got an interesting approach to this. It's through the, through the eyes of what's called a family constitution. Joe's you know, utilized this in some of his practices. It's a, it's a best practice. It's one that's utilized a lot by affluent families today. So we're going to walk, walk you through and, and explain you know, the strategies and the, the value behind a family constitution as well as why it is even implemented in the first place. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Joe out to get today's conversation started. Joe, great to see you. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Ryan. How about you? Great to see you. I'm doing well. Can't complain. Uh, hey, look, I'm excited for today's conversation because we've been talking about the family element, just kind of skimming the surface, if you will. Today, we're really diving in head first. And, you know, Joe, to kind of get our conversation rolling, one of the biggest concerns facing affluent families today is, of course, how to manage their wealth to achieve a few different goals. And we've we've touched on this. Usually that goal is to grow the wealth. Another goal would be, of course, to make sure it's transferred to younger generations when the time comes. And then lastly, to make sure the wealth's preserved and it's not taken unjustly by creditors or predators, uh, you know, to just make sure the wealth stays within the family. Now, often the best place to start to achieve those few goals is to make sure that everyone in the family is on the same page when it comes to not only the family's goals and the family aspirations, but how the wealth ties into those family goals as a whole. So Joe, you know, to get our conversation started here, in your experiences, what kind of unique challenges overall, you know, arise when families with significant assets or significant wealth tend to try and work together to manage those assets and wealth as a whole? Ryan, it's a great question. I, I'd almost say that's a wrap. That was a great introduction, but let's unpack <laughs> this a little bit at a time, right? So when families are getting prepared to pass on wealth to their adult children and grandchildren in several generations, they want to ensure that it continues on for a legacy. But they have to work through potential conflicts as well as unify the vision and the values and the principles that they've come to enjoy over time, but that it can carry on. And the best way to often do that is through a family constitution. So Joe, are there any specific wealth related issues that you tend to see maybe more than others when you're dealing with families that have significant assets at their disposal? Oftentimes, they have assets of significant wealth. They can often be commingled, for example, through a family business, uh, a gifting trust, some land, for example. Any or all of those could be a combination. And so when those assets have a unified structure and they can't be easily unpacked, making sure that there's a unified vision on how to manage those assets becomes very important for the future. Sure. And Joe, I'm sure as, as you or anybody watching knows, anytime 
family and money enter the same picture, it can always be a little bit of a sticky situation. So what can families do then to kind of create and then, of course, maintain a more harmonious relationship or situation where both sets of the family members, both sides, if you will, their attitudes are aligned and everyone's just working well together to make sure that those goals and aspirations of the wealth in the first place are being achieved? Yeah, that family constitution becomes important, Ryan, because it's transferring values and a common vision to that next generation or two and three, right? Because what what the family that has created the wealth doesn't wanna see happen is as you mentioned, assets be unjustly taken Mm -hmm. by taxes or predators or both. So first, you need to have a constitution that's created of unified vision, principles, and values. And if you can do that, it would then hopefully, and often does, then mitigate tension and stress and conflict. Without it, there may not be a unified vision on how this should be projected and and operated going forward. Sure. So so let's get into the document itself, the constitution itself. How does it ultimately promote a better family relationship, especially when we're talking about the wealth here? It goes through several steps, Ryan. I think you've got to figure out who should be in this decision-making group, but generally it's the wealth creators and you want to have family involved if indeed the family is going to be part of the operational procedure going forward. How is the wealth going to be used? Who is going to use it? And when is this going to happen? So there are several layers going on in this situation, in this creation of the document that then lays out how this gets created, and who's ultimately in the decision-making, right? The decision-making for both the Constitution, but then who's going to help see that Constitution get operated going forward? And what is the decision tree in that? So there are several steps in the Constitution. It does start, though, with the values and the principles, the guiding lights, if you will, right? What are the general assets? I say general because it should be broad-based decision-making principles involving the general assets and sometimes specifically, we'll get to the breathing document part in a moment, but it needs to be flexible because assets may come and go. So you don't want to tie the constitution necessarily to specific assets, but the general decision-making process of the assets that are currently involved. But then, as we also talked about, make sure that the document is not too rigid because there are decisions that need to be made. So, again, it's guiding principles, but not so rigid that it's labeling specific assets. I love how you lay that out as guiding principles. It's meant to be this this template is what I'm understanding. This this idea of, hey, here's here's where we, maybe the family matriarch or patriarch, envision our wealth moving not just through us, but beyond us when it's your time, you know, son or daughter, when it comes to that point. So, you know, there's a lot of good value in here, Joe. So let's get into the how. How would a family go about drafting a family constitution that achieves these types of goals and outcomes that we're, you know, we're mentioning right now? So I think you want to start anywhere from two to five key values that are then shared by the family, by the wealth creators, and they want to see carried on. That becomes the most important and starting aspect of a constitution because 
if two conflicts arise, you go back to the values as to part of the decision-making process. Three, who are the leaders then in the next generation of decision-makers? So a decision tree, if you will, who then makes the decisions? And you could have one person running a business, another making land decisions, another making trust or investment management decisions. Maybe it's all the same person, but the decision tree for each part of that constitution. And then a conflict resolution amendment of some kind. So if conflict arise, and often conflicts arise, people have different views, different ways to create this, how do we resolve the conflict? You don't just want an iron hand making a decision. You still want it to be unified going forward, but you're often gonna have people with different political backgrounds, different age backgrounds, different history, different experiences, influencing their decision-making. So rarely is it gonna be unanimous all the time and everyone's copacetic. So you wanna go back to those guiding values and principles as to how do we manage conflict and having conflict resolutions involved is helpful. You know, Joe, I want to circle back real quick to a, an important point that you made in the who, because that can really play a drastic role in ultimately how beneficial this constitution is in the first place. So who from a given family should be involved then in discussing these issues and then ultimately be involved in the process of creating and drafting and then helping to maintain this family constitution overall? Brian, there are two other questions you have to ask when deciding the who. It's when and how the family is getting involved. When you're drafting the Constitution, how is everyone getting along? If everyone is getting along well, the question then becomes, is it just immediate family or is it the married family? Is it the in-laws, right? Is it the spouses of the adult children getting involved? And do you want the grandchildren involved? depending upon age and experience. So how is the family getting involved at the time the Constitution is being drafted can often influence who's getting involved in that process. One of the other things you may want to think about is, because as we just mentioned, political influences, experiences, age differences can often have a factor to avoid the tension and have help in the crafting of the Constitution do you want to get a financial psychologist involved or a family mediator involved? Someone who's a neutral third party that can then come in and have that kind of discussion, but doesn't have any cross to bear, doesn't have any overriding influences to say, I want to side with this person or I want to side with that person. Someone that's totally neutral to help them craft that constitution. I love that. And that's a really beneficial part of this is, is maybe having that mediator along the way should should the need arise, really. But as we're going through this, Joe, I want to I want to answer a question that's probably on the top of the mind of our audience at the moment is, is, you know, basically how formal of a document is this? How formal are these constitutions? Are they, in fact, legal documents or are they more like a set of principles, guidelines, recommendations, if you will? It is definitely the latter. It is guidelines, principles, values. It's not filed at the courthouse. It's not a binding document, but family members should pledge to adhere to it because without it, the document is essentially worthless, but it is still guiding principles overall in the operation of the entity. 
Sure, sure. So it helps to obviously write these things down, outline the principles so that everyone has this unified document to go back to. Now, that being said, Joe, as we've talked about time and again on this show is, hey, wealth changes, circumstances change. There's a lot moving and flowing in our world today. That being said, do you have any other advice for a family that's go, maybe going through this process or maybe has already completed the family constitution uh, that needs some advice to help their constitution remain relevant and adhered to over time, given how much things change these days? Yeah, a couple of things, right? You want the document to be open and living and flexible and breathing, right? So you want to review that document every two or three years because, unfortunately, families change, dynamics change, people pass on. You might need to name new people into the Constitution. So that's one. Businesses change. Entities change. That's the second part. But in the crafting of the document, you need to be candid and you need to refresh yourselves about what was the values that created. Are the values still the same? You just not, might need to tweak a little further down into the Constitution right, to adjust and make that the living, breathing document overall. So it's not binding. It's adhered to, it's pledged, but it should still be flexible going forward. Roger that. And Joe, who should families then turn to, to, you know, for help with this from the process of, you know, identifying the values and concerns all the way to creating the document. And then of course, down the road, then revisiting and adhering to, or, or just like we just mentioned, fine tuning over time, who should a family turn to if they need help with this? I think first their wealth manager is the first person they turn to make sure that the wealth manager has experience and the understanding of the family. So you start by profiling the wealth creators. Who do they want involved? Who do they not want involved? Who are they still trying to decide they want to have involved? Not only externally, but internally. Do they want their attorney involved? Do they need their CPA to be involved? Is there a family counselor that might be good to include? Kind of that neutral third-party facilitator that we discussed. So there are those folks on the outside. Internally, as we've discussed, who are they getting along with? Who are they not getting along with? Who still wants to be included as a benefactor of the family constitution, but just may not be at the right time or right place to be included in the creation of the constitution? So all of those things on understanding who should and who should not be, they want to take some time to think through some of those players. Right. Turning to your wealth manager sounds like the, the next logical step. Should anything, Joe and I, you know, talking about with this family constitution be intriguing to you and, you know, interest you in, in moving in that direction. But Joe, I love this conversation because, you know, you and I, we know what is to come on this show and we know that we've got a lot of family conversations uh, that are up and coming. And this one does a really nice job of, of kind of giving us that surface level dive into the family dynamic, if you will, utilizing this document, the set of guidelines and principles just to get everybody on the same page because that way when big moments happen in each other's lives and wealth shifts or or goals shift you know everybody understands what the trickle down effect is going to be everyone's on the same page and it can really help mitigate some of those rifts that can ultimately be family dividing which i'm sure in some capacity you have probably seen in your time joe but joe in closing just to kind of round things out then for our audience today could you bottom line it for us one final time summing up the key reasons of really why somebody, you know, should be considering a family constitution in the first place. Yeah. Memorialize the values and the principles of the wealth creators, right? Creating some checks and balances on a go forward basis. 
help transition the assets both tax efficiently, but also then morally or ethically to the next generation or two, helping that intergenerational transfer happen as smoothly as, as possible and allowing the next generation to carry on the family name and or legacy to the level that they wanted as smoothly as possible. That's what they want. Ultimately, is family harmony, the reason why you've created this constitution and the ability then to make that carry on as time goes forward. So please, if it's on your mind, you've thought about it, don't wait. Take the time. You'll be glad you did. All right, Joe. Well, look, hey, I appreciate your time and looking forward to the next episode already. All righty. And look, we want to take a moment to thank you, our audience, for finding your way back here to the show and sitting with us for another great conversation today. If you liked what you saw, you liked what you heard, feel free to comment, subscribe to the show, share this information with friends and family. Joe and I dive into a new wealth management topic each time we sit down for an episode, and we'd hate to have you miss out on any future episodes. So for Joe Kaleo, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long. We thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of Your Money and a cup of joe. This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Financial Services Incorporated. UBS Financial Services Incorporated does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. This material is made available for use by CEG. Neither UBS Financial Services Incorporated nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services Incorporated is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, member SIPC. Joe Kaleo at Kaleo Wealth Management Group, UBS Financial Services Incorporated, office address 200 West Highway 6, Suite 400 in Waco, Texas, 76712.